0: Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a Friday bonus edition of Ranching Reboot. This episode is sponsored by our generous patrons over on patreon.com forward slash Red Hills Rancher. Today, we've got two time guest Hobbs Magare joining us on Zoom and for this special bonus episode, since I'm kind of far ahead with the Monday releases, Hobbs and I wanted to sit down here and kind of do a current events and catch up on some things that are on both of our minds that that we've been thinking about a lot the last couple of weeks and some things that have really kind of come up on social media in the last couple of weeks. Well, I guess really the last month. So we, we kind of want to maybe talk about a few of those things that are going on in the world. Like uh, the first one that comes to mind is the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Now, we don't need to get into like a lot of the geopolitics or or a lot of you know, the economics of natural gas. I'm more concerned with talking about what kind, of may, what kind of downstream effects that might have on our food system and how that could affect our businesses over the next year or so. So that being said, we are, uh, we're kind of looking at some major, there could be some major issues coming down the line. There will be. Yeah, President <laughs> Biden was just on, you know, he's, he's been in the media the last couple of days talking about there might be food shortages. And anybody that pays attention when the government starts talking about food shortages you You know it's going to to be bad (laughs) you need to sit up and pay attention and pay attention right now because if the government is saying there could be food shortages this year later this year they're not saying that right now for no reason they're saying that to try to prepare the population for incoming food shortages and famine
1: yeah that's a um get it while the getting's good right i mean um ultimately uh, the default uh, position for governments when something bad is going to happen coming down the pike is to ignore it and not say anything at all um but if if certain things become so bad and and the forecast is is so bad that um they actually start talking about it um they know they know a certain percentage of people are are not going to listen but um, the, there is also a certain percentage of people that are and you know so uh, better get your toilet paper right now if you or better yet buy a bidet <laughs>
0: yeah I've had one of those for years and you know two years <laughs> ago when everybody was panicking because I couldn't find toilet paper just like uh, I need like four squares a day guys and I'm cool because I have I have this bidet thing on my toilet and you know a lot of I know probably a half a dozen people that have bought bidets in the last two years because They didn't like not having toilet paper two years ago. Oh,
1: yeah, the Europeans are way ahead of us on on a lot of things. And um, the way that they use the restroom is definitely one of those. So, you know, here's to you, Europe. Once again, more civilized than us.
0: I think they're more civilized than us in a lot of ways. But maybe in some ways, some of that civilization is going to come back to bite us in the butt.
1: Yeah, they're over-civilized right now. It's uh, it's, uh, definitely um, all of the massive... uh, resource rich, uh, countries to the East have been, uh, largely subsidizing their, their, uh, uh, high quality of life for, for a long time, uh, based on the fact that, uh, the, the U S and, and Western Europe won world war II. So we've been able to, uh, get, you know, really great deals on all their resources coming out of, uh, of, of Eastern Europe. And, you know, from, uh, basically for the last hundred years, I mean, if, if you want to find the best, um, uh, tubes, uh, vacuum tubes for a guitar amplifier, you look for, um, uh, German made, um, uh, German made tubes from the forties and fifties, uh, made by surplus Nazi steel, you know, that's the, that's by far the, the best stuff. So, you know, they, they have been, they have made a career, uh, out of, 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 taking those raw resources and making them better and that's one of the things that you and i were just talking about with regard to uh germany specifically
0: yeah like well i guess we can kind of you know we can just touch on it a little bit so with the whole russia ukraine thing one thing we got to understand is ukraine is basically europe's breadbasket like almost all their cereal crops that they consume or, or a very very large portion of cereal crops they consume in europe are grown in the Ukraine. And with ongoing conflict, those things aren't being planted right now. Couple that with, you know, the political thing between Germany and Russia. Well, Russia supplies something like 40, almost 50% of Germany's natural gas. And that natural gas isn't just used for electricity and power generation. A lot of that natural gas goes to companies like BASF, Monsanto, Sygena, because they have chemical plants in Germany that use that natural gas as a feedstock. So those plants don't have those feedstocks or can't get them. They're just not available because Germany said, we're not buying Russian natural gas because we buy Russian natural gas. They have money. Then they can keep fighting a war in Ukraine. So like you got to really wonder what some of these world leaders are actually thinking
1: (laughs) at times, but well, they've they've known that they've known for a long time that, that something was going to go down. That's I mean that's that's why um, uh, it it was always going to happen. It just so happens, uh, in my opinion, that Russia just chose when to have when to be the black swan or whatever. I mean, it's large. It's large. Hundred-year-long trends that are ha- happening right now, and the only question mark was where was it going to be, it, or what was it going to be, and it's always going to be something. I mean, we are we are using, and I don't want to be all doom and gloom here because I really think there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but we are are. are we are running into a shortage of a lot of different resources at the same time. And never before in history has something like this happened. So you, you you want this thing, you can't get it. Oh, we'll turn to this thing. Oh, we can't get that either because there's such a shortage from it. And as you were mentioning earlier, uh, we're just sort of seeing the effects of the, of the COVID supply uh, chain. And right now, we, we, are, we, we don't even know what we're in for. And um, so I mean, we kind of have an idea what we're in for. But um, most of the, as a civilization, we, we're just totally blinded, um, and it's it's extremely privi- uh, it's an extreme privilege to be kind of living um, in a rural area with the ability to produce something of yourself uh, by for yourself, and that's kind of our uh, audience here, right? So uh, the so. I think one of the things that, that you and I wanted to talk about and, and correct me if I'm wrong was, you know, what they can do um, moving forward to secure themselves and put them in a, in a position to um, uh, help their community, help their family, come out on the other side, looking uh, uh, to, in, in a position where they can be helpful uh, as we begin to rebuild what's going to happen. And that,
0: that brings up, like, just before we got on this, on this call, I was on Twitter, okay, <laughs> And uh, the thread that I was on, somebody had asked, Are the food, you know, President Biden said there's going to be food shortages. Are they going to be real? And the response that, you know, that I read to you that I'll share with the listeners is basically the responder that I saw said, I work for a major food distributor. As bad as you think things are, nobody really knows how bad they are, much less how bad it's going to get. And his advice was to stock up on, on canned and non-perishable goods i'm gonna agree with that but i'm also gonna say if that's your plan to stay alive that's that's a very short-sighted plan yeah. Canned food your non-perishable stuff uh you don't know, store not more than about a year that's gonna get really expensive really fast and if if you think that the current supply chain issues and possible food shortages are only going to last a year i got news for you like now is the time to plant a garden. I mean, it is spring everywhere. Uh, you know, this episode is going to come out on Friday, whatever, April 8th, plant your damn garden.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and buy seeds while you can, because, you know, certainly seeds, uh, you can throw them in the freezer. You you'll lose a little bit of germination rate, but you know, you can, you can, uh, uh have some degree of success moving forward. And, um, you know anybody who's studied any degree of, of prepping you know whether a, a minor prepper or a major prepper knows that uh if you become too insulated and you have too many reserves you be, you become a uh target for a very motivated population so the most important thing that you can do is to really strengthen the ties in your community and your your immediate area because community is the thing that's going to get us through this i mean um you know, one person can only eat so much beef. So if they're running a bunch of cows, you know, that gives you sort of an interesting responsibility in the community. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it, we don't, I don't know if we're um, completely talking about the breakdown of uh, industrial technological civilization, but we might, you know, a lot of people have been planning for that for a long time. And any meaningful degree of that, is going to create a lot of suffering for a lot of people. So um, certainly, plant a garden. I think that's exactly right. It's exactly what you should do. Be meet your neighbors if you hadn't haven't already. Uh, be nice to them. <laughs> create create really work hard. It's probably a little too late, but you know, work hard to uh, uh, create some great connections with with your neighbors. Um, uh, stock up on the things that that allow you to do what it is that you do. Um, uh so for instance what would that be for you brian
0: um well i mean that's going to be salt that's going to be fence cable and fence posts for the most part um you know just 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 maintenance ongoing maintenance supplies that i know that i'm going to need to operate my business um some things that i can see that i've used several of in the last few years that might be very difficult to get moving forward uh something like a fiberglass repair kit interesting yeah yeah like if I have to repair a fiberglass tank so I'm gonna write that down right now yeah. <laughs> stock up on fiberglass repair supplies concrete uh yeah you know concrete quick might be a little bit difficult to get if you rely on that but you know sometimes that's a crutch you know sometimes it's just one of those nice to have things and we've we've gotten used to used to being able to have that and use that right um, and I was I was talking to a, I was talking to a, a friend this morning and I hope, hope he'll eventually listen to this. And please, you know, I, I don't think he'll get upset about saying this, but he was telling me, um, like he still has, he has some, he has some cows and a lot. Don't, don't judge too harshly, but he was telling me he was spending over $5,000 every two weeks on corn to feed those cows. Cause corn was over eight bucks. And I asked him, I said, you know, what, what's your plan for that? You know? And, He's a sharp guy. He's been through ranching for profit. So he, he has an idea what he's doing. Right. Um, and he told me that, you know, here he has a buyer for those that he's got, you know, putting all the high, high cost corn in. And he's going to be able to get out of them and make money in another month. Great. Uh, and then I asked him, so what are you going to do next year when it's 12 bucks and you can only get half as much? And he, he said, gosh, I don't know. It's going to be a scary time. I said, well, you know, what happens when hay is, because we were talking about hay too, and it was like, you know, 40 to $60 a bale for some of the hay that he's got that he's been rolling out to his cows that I'm watching. And, you know, what if that's 50% higher? Now, you can't afford that. You can't afford $120 a bale for, uh, you know, a grass bale.
1: No, oh, yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's going to go through the roof. Uh, the fertilizer to grow the hay, the diesel to harvest the hay, uh, the parts to fix on your tractor to get it. It's just going to be, um, uh, unmanageable. And I think really as ranchers, um, the, the thing that we, I mean, I catch so much flack on, on social media for this, and I know you do too, but I think it is absolutely a hundred percent correct what you've been saying. And that I've been thinking about this so much, be, uh, the last couple of weeks, because I think it is the perfect articulation of where we need to be headed as a, uh, um, as an industry. And that is my cattle, please correct me if I, I'm, I'm wrong here. My cattle should survive on grass and salt and salt that's. Fienery. Yeah. So that's exactly right. I mean, because a hundred percent, uh, of wild animals survive on, on that. And obviously cattle come from that. And we have the capacity to create that. And, and, you know, whether it, it, it's no longer a question
0: we don't we don't create that we just peel back all the inputs and the ones that can't hack it in the natural environment without the inputs and we'll find the ones that can live on salt and scenery
1: yeah absolutely and to to some degree i mean you uh, yeah i mean uh, some semantics but i i think that you're you're exactly right and you know it it has now reached the point in the context of this conversation that it is no longer a question of taste and preference. It is now a question of survival. Is your herd going to survive if you cannot throw hay and protein at them? Now, obviously, if you're in Montana, you're going to have to feed some degree of of roughage through the winter when there's four feet of snow. Like, I'm not arguing with anybody about that. Um, And that, you know, that's, you know, if hopefully you are making the most out of the shoulder seasons and and not having to feed hay too early or or uh, or feed it too long and you can maybe truncate the amount of time you're feeding hay with with a little bit of a adapted grazing strategies, I mean because we're all going to have to do something and then you know through the through the bulk of the of the year. Um, pulling those inputs and seeing who's going to work. You know, another thing, another really controversial thing that I, I think is going to be really, really uh, important moving forward is uh, keeping your own bulls. Cause you know, you're, you're going to find who who is working well on your property and your area. And those are the bulls you want. That's the fastest way to get those genetics, right? You
0: A $10,000 uh, bull from halfway across the country that you're only going to put with 25 cows that don't work.
1: No, 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 not at all. And you know, I, I've, I've not bought and sold a ton of bulls in my in my life, but there it's uh, the ratio is extremely high to the the homegrown bulls outperforming the the papered registered bulls every time. Uh, it's it's been pretty interesting actually uh, to to see how easily those the Fed bulls have fallen apart and the the you know the pedigree bulls have have fallen apart and had problems and uh, uh, the homegrown bulls just man they're just they're just workhorses um so i mean because ultimately all the homegrown bulls you as a producer have to rely on your eye and your instincts for and your and their performance whereas the you know the pedigree bulls you can just fall back so anyway um it's it's all about it's it's for ranching it for ranchers it's all going to be about uh uh genetics and grazing strategy moving forward because it's if you think you're going to be able to continue doing what you've been doing if you're just right on that razor's edge of profitability and able to continue doing it you're not i mean it's going to change i mean your fuel costs are going to go high you're you caught if you're feeding a ton of cake a ton of protein tubs a ton of hay um if you are feeding if you are supplementing you are you are going to be in for a balance sheet wreck You know, and, you know, we we tell people this not because we want to judge or change or whatever, but because it's important that we continue to produce food for our uh, our communities and our our nation and is important for us to continue to preserve the ecology of the planet. Um, You know, it's, you know, breeding cattle that can survive on grass and salt is is just as much an ecological necessity as it is a, a balance sheet necessity.
0: I agree 100%. You know, the the high input cattle can only be supported by a lot of fossil fuel use, whether that's, and you could just say a lot of energy use, because they're kind of high energy cattle, they require a high energy diet to stay in condition, they require a high energy diet to maintain size, they require a high energy diet to maintain fertility, and that high energy that comes with, you know, a lot of grown feed, Okay. You grow your you grow your own hay, great. There's a very high cost to growing that hay. I mean, the machinery depreciate the machinery cost, the depreciation cost, the the guy that's got to sit in the seat to drive it, and then your fuel cost and your fuel costs are kind of like, uh, you know, we had it nice in 2020. I mean, and with low prices, diesel was about two dollars, and that wasn't that was because of the demand destruction brought about. By this, by everything being shut down in 2020, so we saw the effects of the 2020 shutdown in 2021 at the pump, I and mean, we started to see it all through 2020. I mean, prices were falling, falling, falling. When did they get low? Like summer 21
1: was that about it? Yeah, it was, it was. It was nice to drive a diesel pickup around at that point.
0: Yeah. So last year, you know, you had everybody doing their, you know, their their spring, summer, and and fall work in the fields without an input price spike. With two, two and a half dollar diesel. This year, I mean, uh, I saw it at 479 the other day. And a couple of days later, it was back down to $473 for, for clear fuel. I mean, obviously, red fuel is going to be a little bit cheaper. So the point I'm making is if your fuel costs have already doubled, just to drive your tractor, your fuel costs have doubled. The rest of your costs are going to follow shortly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You might not see it this year on this year's buy but you will see it next year.
1: Yeah. And uh, it, it, in order to intercept that in your strategy, you have to uh, make changes now, right now you have to use, I mean, this, this might be our last, if you're a producer on the edge, this might be your last chance to make some changes before you get absolutely toppled uh, uh, next or year. Mean, in. Right. Exactly. That's exactly right. This is the hardest thing to do when it comes to changing your grazing uh, management practices is to make the investment in a lot of cases to do that, whether it's running water infrastructure or or building fence, whether it's permanent or temporary or, you know, training yourself or, you know, uh, forcing, you know, losing, losing a percentage of your calf crop because you pull back the the inputs and then can't prop up that fertility anymore. I mean, so it's like it's going to take some bravery uh, right now to do what is necessary to be ahead of the game next year, uh, because it's going to look like a loss this year, but it, it, a small loss this year could prevent you from having a big wreck next year.
0: Yes, yes, being proactive. I was I was just sitting here thinking while you are talking about. You know, some of some of our most vocal critics, yours and mine, both that we've run across in the last two years that are in our industry. Um, It's going to be fun to watch them on social media over the next 12 months to see what happens to their operations.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I tend to see that the the, the vocal critics don't really post a whole lot uh, in 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 my case, um, but I really I feel I have a lot of compassion for those folks, man. I mean, it's uh, the they're, they're, people who are mean are that way because they're scared and they don't they don't really necessarily know it. But they're terrified that the that the mythology that they have built their life on is not the best way to do it, and that it's going to come crumbling down. And the only way that they can express that or deal with it is to lash out in anger. And to and I think that and and so I, I mean, if I could have you know one wish for those folks, it would be that my goodness, I I, I hope that uh, I hope you're okay, and I hope that you, you know the 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 dominoes fall so that you're able to continue this this wonderful uh, uh practice of, of animal husbandry and and stewardship of the land because you know i i I, ha- I have zero schadenfreude uh for for people failing i i, I want to see everybody succeed i want to see um i want to see my vocal critic my most vocal hateful critics i want to see those people have good happy lives and um and ultimately at the end of the day um that is that would be my, my deepest wish. That being said, some of them are going to crash and burn. A lot of people are so rooted in their ways and so you know uh, uh, the, the brain is very plastic if you allow it to be, but it can also be very rigid. And a lot of people are really, really uh, right The only compaction only pr- compaction problem is compaction of the mind. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's, that's one of those things that you say. Uh, that's I stole and, that uh, from
0: Ray Archuleta. That's not mine. That's a Ray Archuleta thing. You don't know Uncle Ray, do you?
1: That's awesome, and it's exact. I do know him actually. Um, I've I've uh, I I set on. I tried to get the city of Sisters to hire in Sisters, Oregon, to hire him as a consultant on what they they should do for their uh, uh, their effluent pastures um and and so we sat in like a two-hour meeting and you know i had a i had an initial conversation with him it was like an hour and then two-hour meeting with the city of sisters and, and and uh he was like you know he was he was great i really really enjoyed him um and uh so that's exactly right uh you know the only the only compaction problem is compaction of the mind and Um, if, if people can have, I mean, I, it would certainly be very presumptuous of me to think that I know so much that I would wish they would have an enlightening moment that would let them see my way. But I, I, I don't, I don't have that. What I have is I hope that things work out where they're okay, you know, and, and that they don't have to suffer too much.
0: I can agree with that. So about ready to end this thing on a high note.
1: Yeah, I think so. I don't know what
0: high note there is right now in the world. Well,
1: you know, you know, it's I think there I think there's absolutely a high note, and the high note is this: so much of the lack of meaning and purpose in this life is because people don't have any problems to contend with. You know, the what 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 we're talking about right now is the lifeblood of the industrial technological uh, civilization that owns all of us and controls all of us. The civilization that makes everything that is in its benefit easy. And everything that is not in its benefit, illegal. You know, so everything that human beings want to do is either easy because it benefits the, the system or illegal because it doesn't benefit the system. And so it, it boxes us down into smaller and smaller boxes of control that support the technological civilization that is about to be on life support. So there's this ma- in this suffering, there's about to be this massive box unboxing of freedom where people are going to have the capacity to have more control over their own lives, that will come with more risk, that will come with more capacity to suffer. But that is kind of the trade-off that has has to happen. And if we can contend with that challenge forthrightly and stand up, and say we're going to get through this and make it better instead of whining and sniveling that now I can't drive my car as much as I used to and just say hey we're going to have to do things differently, we're going to have to do it better, then we are going to come out on the other side of this a better civilization, we're going to come out on the other side of this a better uh, uh, society, now that is not to say that people won't starve that people won't die. But the, the history of humanity is rife with uh, ups and downs and tragedy and, um, and triumph. And ultimately at the end of every tragedy is a triumph. And hopefully the triumph that we're able to create out of this is going to be long lasting and create a lot of beautiful uh, life for as many uh, uh, life forms, including humans as possible. I think that's the, I think that's the light at the end of the tunnel.
0: I guess we could say that we are, our society is maybe a little pregnant and it's about ready to give birth to something new.
1: I think that's exactly
0: right. And every birth, there's pain, there's screaming, and there's usually a little bit of blood. And I don't think that this rebirth is going to be any different.
1: Right, and, and, and shit too. There's definitely a lot of that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, <it's laughs> that too. So I guess the message is this, watch your costs, Think about making some changes. No, don't just think about making some changes. Plan to make some changes now. You'll
1: be, you'll You'll have to, you'll be forced to, if you don't do it voluntarily.
0: And the ones that do it voluntarily early are going to feel much, much less pain than the ones that get the ones that have to change by force down the road.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Wonderful. I, uh, uh, I, 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 I could not be more excited to be alive at this point in time in ranching. Uh, it's going to be hard, but I think it's going to be great in the end. Yeah.
0: Uh, you know, I've been saying it for a couple of months. Like we are just in an absolutely fascinating time in history. Like we have, we know all of these events that are going on in the world around us and we're connected to all of them through our smartphone. And We've never been more connected, but at the same time, we've never been more disconnected from each other and more disconnected from our food supply and from the land. And I can only hope that through the course of this, what will likely be a very painful rebirth of our civilization and our society, that we can learn some of these lessons about connecting to other humans and making smaller communities that we can take care of better, that we better understand the needs of rather than just saying, well, that's too hard. We'll just let one guy run everything. No. I mean, w- we have to have small communities. We have to be able to support our small communities. And I think that that's the direction that those of us that are going to survive this, uh, that's where we're going to be. We're going to be in a smaller community. We're going to be have good, strong ties with our neighbors. We're going to cooperate on things like growing food and sharing, sharing meals and harvesting the crops and and sharing in the fruits of the land, like the cows you see behind me. I'm never gonna eat all my cows. Like there's way too many cows for me and my family to eat. I just I just want to take feed my family and take care of my community. And that's it. And part of that is I've never bought into the whole feed the world bullshit. Because you know, by the time I started hearing that. You start looking around like the people that are saying that, what are they growing? They're growing corn and soybeans and cotton.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, okay, feed the world. Yeah, we're feeding the world full of corn and soybeans and cotton. Like, well, I, mean,
1: and I get also, people
0: need clothes and I get corn does other things than just feed cows and make biofuel.
1: Well, the world is more than just people. The world is, I mean, we, we're not feeding the world. We're, we're eating the world. We're consuming the world in order to feed people. And there's a way that we can feed the world in, and also feed people out of it. And, you know, that's the area that gets a lot of people that are just like, no, well, we just have to absolutely be the uh, microbe that eats the apple in its completeness in order to survive. And we are, we are absolutely um, uh, killing the goose that, go- the, that lay the golden egg uh, by doing this, but There is there is a huge opportunity to to if if we reverse course. I mean it's gonna be it's gonna be fantastic. I mean uh, if if we can if we can make those changes. And another thing that I wanted to mention is that um, there will also be fortunes made through this process and lost. yeah, absolutely. We, I mean, it's obvious that people are going to lose money. And we spent a lot of this time talking about how people can avoid losing money. But the people who do crazy, insane things right now that end up catching are, are the ones who are going to make fortunes in the, in the long run. Because the world's not going to end. And the economy is not going to end. And it, but, you know, it's...
0: At least not with a bang.
1: Right, 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 and it's it's times like this that that open the greatest amount of opportunity. Those periods of instability. So if you have your mind tuned towards opportunity and and are uh, brave enough to take some risks and make some changes that you may not have been uh, you may not have entertained previously. I think that you know this. This is the most exciting time, as you as you mentioned earlier. I think this is one of the most exciting times to be alive. And you know, if you were if you were a, a betting person and wanted to become fabulously have the opportunity to become fabulously wealthy, or fabulously successful, or fabulously contributive, this is exactly the environment that you would be looking for.
0: I like it. I like it. Well, hubs, I really appreciate you joining me. For this uh, little special bonus, hopefully, oh, Brian, that,
1: it's it's always a, it's always a huge pleasure, my friend.
0: Hopefully, we haven't scared the pants off of everybody and given given some folks some hope and a few things to think about today.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. It's going to be great. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be great.
0: Where there's uh, where there's, I, I'm thinking of the the, the SWOT analysis, right? Like wherever you see a weakness take that weakness, turn it into a strength. Wherever you see a threat, take that, turn that into an opportunity. So if you're seeing threats coming down the road at you in the next 12 months, you have time. Take that threat and turn it into an opportunity for your business. That's right.
1: That's right. Example. Yeah. I mean, uh, just uh, it, it is the obvious example to that. Like, um, you know, the threat is I'm not going to have uh feed to feed my cattle anymore so you turn that thread into an opportunity by going all right well i'm going to start breeding cattle that don't need it i'm
0: glad i started two years ago <laughs> yeah no doubt.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the fortunes will be made brian oh
0: it's it's just the pain of getting there
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely the pain my friend of
0: there all right you guys have a great weekend and we'll see you back on monday for another episode